Good morning. The next Bible reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. It's um, Hannah's prayer as she leaves her young son Samuel with the priests. Verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighted. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire, those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On him he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails, those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Please keep your Bibles open there at 1 Samuel chapter 2. Um, as I say each week, it really does make a big difference if you've got it there in front of you, so that as I refer to it, you can read it along with me. Um, I think it's uh, even better if it's a physical copy, but if you've got a digital one with you, then that will do. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that these words of Hannah's, written so many years, even millennia ago, um, that you will speak to us through them. Um, not just to ha of Hannah as an example to us, but of what you are like, and so that we then um, live towards you and trust in you according to what you are like. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I went to my high school reunion. I'll leave you to guess what year anniversary that was. You can ask me later if you like. But aside from kind of that usual awkwardness of trying to recognise... <coughs> excuse me, people that you haven't seen for a long time, you know, that kid who had their growth spurt after high school finished, who was the smallest kid in school, then all of a sudden they're taller than everyone else, or just trying to discover that young face that you used to see through the wrinkles of the now old face, speaking of myself there. There was also that stereotypical thing that typically happens at school reunions of one-upmanship, to see who has achieved what since school, right? You know, what have you done? What life achievements have you made? What job do you do? What business successes have you had? 
What's your family situation here? Let me show you a photo of my kids. Aren't they, aren't they wonderful? Um, how well have you aged? Which I guess is not so much a question as an observation. But that kind of thing is typical, right, of school reunions. But as much as it might be typical of school reunions, it's probably something that we also just generally do on a day-to-day -day basis. That is, we rate each other and ourselves based on our life achievements, based on what we have done and our abilities. We rank ourselves in this regard. And 1 Samuel chapter 2, this prayer that we've just read, tells us how stupid that is that our life achievements, our circumstances, our abilities are not the measure that your life is weighed by or the value of your life. And in fact, that God can change your life situation just like that. He can raise up the lowly and he can bring down the proud. So let's have a look at what it says here. Verse 1 tells us that this is a prayer that Hannah prayed. And if you were here last week, you might remember that we've heard Hannah pray before. But compared to last week, Hannah's prayer and her situation cannot have changed more significantly. Back then she was filled with misery and pain, and now she's overflowing with joy. My heart rejoices in the Lord, she says. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance, from crushing misery to overflowing with joy. You can't really get a bigger difference than that, can you? But I want to suggest that despite that difference, there is something consistent. There is a similarity between Hannah's prayer previously and her prayer here, as different as they seem. And the first kind of aspect of the similarity is that both these prayers come from the heart. She said back in chapter 1, she was downhearted. She was deeply distressed. She prayed out of the misery of her soul. This is praying from the heart. And now here in chapter 1, she rejoices from the heart. In the Bible, the heart is more than what we might think of it as just the place where our emotions come from. In the Bible, the heart is the very centre of who we are. It's the emotions, it's our desires, it's also the choices that we make. It's our whole person, including our sorrow and joy. And so Hannah is praying from the very centre of who she is. That is, there is certainly nothing superficial about Hannah's trust in the Lord. In both misery and joy, she pours out her heart to the Lord. And if I could make this kind of same observation from a different perspective... It's to just note that it is to the Lord that she comes to in both misery and joy. See, it's one thing to have strong emotions. It's another thing to come to God in the midst of those. When it comes to grief and pain, does our trust in God mean that I come to him even in the rawness of that grief and expose those emotions to God because I know that he can handle it? And that he wants me to come to him as I really am and not just pretend or think that I've got to pull myself together before I can come to God. Trusting God means that we can pour out our heart to him, even in grief and pain. But also in joy, which is what we see in this chapter. Hannah's spirits and her confidence is high. But the thing to notice about Hannah's rejoicing, again, as I said, is that it is focused on God. 
because she is completely aware that this is the Lord's doing. This dramatic reversal in her life experience is entirely from the Lord. In the Lord I rejoice. In the Lord my horn, that is my strength, is lifted high. I delight in your deliverance, Lord. Now the situation that Hannah is talking about, the deliverance that she's talking about, is God giving her a child when she had been barren and suffering ridicule because of that. That's the deliverance she's rejoicing in. But it quickly becomes clear as we read on in this prayer that she's talking bigger than her own personal experience. And we're going to see that later on. But this is saying more than just don't forget to thank God after he's answered your prayer. Of course, that's true. But it's also setting us up to understand the rest of the prayer. That God is the one who raises the lowly and who brings down the proud. And as we're going to see, this should be both an encouragement and a warning for us. So as we read on, it's not surprising that in the very next verse, in verse 2, Hannah begins to reflect on what God is like. And what she says is, there is no one like the Lord. And if you read verse 2 there, she basically says the same thing three times, although in the first and last verse, she kind of gets a bit more specific. Sorry, in the first and last line of verse 2. In the first line, she says, there is no one holy like the Lord. This is kind of pointing to the moral aspect of God's uniqueness. There is no one holy like him. And in the last line, there is no rock like our God. What is a rock? A rock is stable. A rock is secure. Hannah is saying there is no stability. There is no security. There is no strength like what comes in the Lord. God is in a league of his own, both in his moral character and in the security that is found only in him. And knowing those two things about God puts everything else in perspective. This is what matters. And in this passage, the main kind of perspective that we need to get is with regard to pride. The uniqueness of God puts our pride into perspective. And so verse 3 is a warning to the proud and particularly to the person who is proud of their achievements. Let me read verse 3. <coughs> Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him our deeds are weighed. So the warning to the proud is don't get confident thinking that your achievements are the measure of who you are. Your life successes are the measure that your deeds are weighed by. They are not. It says at the end of verse 2, For the Lord is a God who knows, by him our deeds are weighed. Your deeds, your life, are not weighed by the outcomes of their success or their failure. Nor are they weighed by other people or in comparison to other people. They are weighed by the God who knows, who knows every deed. Because we do often kind of weigh our deeds by our successes or our failures, don't we? We value ourselves or other people by our life achievements. But God doesn't do that. God weighs them against his holiness and there is no hiding from the blinding light of the God who knows and who is holy like no other. 
So to the person who is proud of their life achievements and who sees that as some kind of reflection on themselves, God says to them, you're measuring yourself with the wrong instrument. Because when you measure something, you need the right instrument to do it right. In my engineering background, that was particularly important. We had lots of things we needed to measure and lots of instruments we needed to measure them with and we needed to make sure we got that right. There was some products that we were making that were very particular, I suppose, that needed to perform in the right kind of way. And so we had some high-tech measuring equipment that had to function in exactly the right way. It was very sensitive, and I didn't understand most of it, to be honest. But we had to build this special room to do the testing in, and that's what I was involved in. And, uh, and in that room, all this high-tech testing equipment went on so that nothing went out the door unless it passed the test. But imagine if kind of company management said, okay, we're gonna change this. We don't need that testing equipment anymore. We're gonna get you a new piece of, a new instrument. It's called a clapper meter. You know what a clapper meter is, right? One of those kind of novelty things where the louder you clap, the higher the, the level goes. I think it's just a person behind it going like this, right? It's not a real thing. But imagine if we were testing that high-tech equipment with that kind of instrument. What's the customer gonna say? You're using the wrong instrument to measure this. That is not what shows the value or the accuracy of this, this product. And that's what God is saying to us. When we measure ourselves by our achievements or by our success or compared to the success of others, and we take pride in that, God says, you're using the wrong instrument. That is not the way to measure yourself. The value of your deeds is not measured by your success or certainly not by the opinion of others. They are measured by the God who knows. By him, our deeds are weighed. And this is meant, as I said, to be both a warning to the proud and an encouragement to the lowly. And for the rest of the, the prayer, really, from verse 4 onwards, it's really just expanding on that one idea. But it's looking at different areas of life where we might be tempted to find pride in our achievements. And to drive this home for us, it adds the fact that our circumstances that we might otherwise take pride in, God can just reverse that in a moment. God can bring down the proud and he can raise up the humble because he is the God of great reversals. However bad your life is going, whatever achievements you might have, however good your life is going, God can change that in an instant. And so, as I said from verse 4, we look at different aspects of that. And the first aspect is a warning to the strong, to the warrior. Look at verse 4. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. The bows of the warriors. At the end of 1 Samuel, we're going to see just how devastatingly powerful the bows of the warriors can be. That's what leads to the death of King Saul. But also in 1 Samuel, we are going to see God raise up the weak, the shepherd boy who takes on the mighty warrior Goliath and by the strength of God defeats him. And so the message to the powerful is, don't be proud of your strength. God can take it away just as easily as he gave it. I've seen strong and confident in their strength, taken down by illness or injury, We've all seen politicians who are powerful politically 
lose that power overnight. I've seen people in workplaces who seem like they have all the power and all the influence lose that and lose their job. The power and influence we have is not the measure of who we are, and God can turn that around. That is not the measure of you that matters. In verse 5, Hannah prays about a situation that is particularly relevant for her, that is children. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has many sons pines away. She who was barren, of course, is Hannah. And the arrogant in this case that the warning goes to is probably the rival wife of her husband, Peninnah, who we heard about last week. She taunted and mocked Hannah because she had kids and Hannah didn't. And now Hannah is experiencing the blessing of God's great reversal. She was barren and now she's had a son, Samuel, and over the page in my Bible, we discover she goes on to have many more children. And again, the point is don't be arrogant about this achievement in life, God can give children to the barren and he can take them away. Now, we might not rate having children in quite the same way that Hannah did, or we might not be as obvious about it, but surely for many of us, family can be a source of pride, right? Now, what my kids have achieved or what they've not achieved, how happy and harmonious our family is, or is not. Maybe that's still in the future for some of us. And again, the point is, don't let this become a point of arrogance. That is not the measure of your life. And God can bring down the, the proud in this area and raise up the lowly. And so it's also an encouragement regard about our kids or our lack of kids, about our spouse or our lack of a spouse. To those of us who feel like the lowly in this regard, God says, this is not the measure of your life. And whatever your situation, God can turn it around like he did for Hannah. But as we move on into verse 6, whatever happens in our life, this next reversal is the great leveller, life and death. Whatever we achieve, whatever we succeed at, we all still die. And verse 6 tells us that even that is in the hand of God. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. Of course, on the one hand, death is the same for everyone, right? Every dead person is on the same equal footing. Whether, whether you are weak or strong in life, whether you are rich or poor, whether you had a huge family or no family at all, makes no difference when you're dead. And so proud, pride about the things that we collect or the things that we achieve in these short, few short years of our life makes no sense in the, in the face of death because death is the great leveller. We have no control over when it comes as the parable, as Jesus person in the parable of the rich fool tells us he had everything he wanted, everything he needed, and he had great pride in that until God took his life. And then where was he? His possessions meant nothing. The Lord brings death. But he also raises the dead. And this is the greatest reversal possible. Resurrection from the dead 
brings new meaning to everything because it shows us that this life is not the end because God is a God who raises the dead. And since Hannah first prayed these words, God has proven that by raising Jesus to life and he has promised it that he will raise us to life as well. Think about how much more this puts our pride in our achievements into perspective. In the context of life and death and eternity, how petty and small do our achievements become? In that context, they're nothing. And the final aspect of life that gets put into perspective for us in verse 7 is poverty and wealth. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. And again, this is one of those areas, I think, that does become a source of pride. Most people are socially aware enough not to be too obvious about it, but we still do it. We still make subtle comparisons about you know, the job that we do, the clothes that we wear, the place that we live, the cars that we drive. And at my school reunion, that sort of stuff was going on everywhere, dropping subtle hints about the business that we've run, the job that we do, the postcode that we live in. And it's hard not to get caught up in these kinds of games because everyone's playing them. And it feels like that is the measure of who I am. But imagine how God must laugh at these kind of petty comparisons that we make. It kind of makes me think of, of when we see uh, an eight-year-old being proud of how they've gone in their third grade maths test and you kind of give them a pat on the head and you say, well done, but you know, we know that that's not really a source of pride. I mean, who can remember how they went in their third grade maths test, whether you did good or bad? When was the last time you even talked about it or anyone asked you about it? You ever been to a job interview and they said so? That third grade maths test, how did you go? Have you ever been to a party and someone asked you about that? Of course not. And it's kind of funny, isn't it, when you see eight-year-olds taking pride in how they've gone in their third grade maths test or in their athletics carnival or the egg and spoon race that they've just won or whatever it is. And, you know, of course, you know, I want my kids to try their best and do their homework, but we know that that's not a source of pride. We know that it doesn't matter that However much they might be boasting about it at the time, five years later, 10, 15, 50 years later, nobody cares. It doesn't matter. That's not the measure we are weighed by. We know that. And yet we do exactly the same thing with all kinds of other things in life that we think are so important now, but to God, they are just like a third grade maths exam. Whether it's our work or financial success or our family success, or our academic achievements, or our sporting achievements. <clears throat> to thee, to God, these are all just third grade maths exams. It doesn't mean that we don't work hard at what we're doing at the time, but they are not the measure by which our deeds are weighed. On God's scales, those things that we value so highly weigh nothing. So I wonder what it is for you that is your third grade maths exam that you're taking pride in and that you need to heed God's warning about. Or maybe you need to hear God's encouragement that that is not the measure of your life. Imagine what a difference it would make if we actually lived like we believe this, 
that these things are not the measure that we are weighed by and that the God who can raise the dead can bring down the proud and raise up the lowly. Now, there's one final raising up in this prayer that speaks well beyond Hannah's situation, and it's there at the end of verse 10. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And the remarkable thing, I think, as I read that, is that we know that there was no king in Israel. And Hannah probably had no notion of there being a king. But Hannah seems to be speaking prophetically here about what God would do in the future, that he would raise up and strengthen and exalt his king, which in 1 Samuel we see when God raises up that young shepherd boy named David and makes him king over the entire nation. But more than that, God then makes promises to that King David about his descendants who he would raise up after him. You see the last word in the prayer there? His anointed. In the Hebrew, that is literally his Messiah. In the Greek translation, it is his Christ. God will raise up his Christ. And in the life of David's greatest grandson, the Christ, Jesus, we see that. God performed the greatest reversal ever. No one could have been as lowly as Jesus was when he died that humiliating death on the cross. But God reversed that when he raised him to life again. And he exalted him to the highest place in the universe. And from that place, he will lift up everyone who follows this Messiah into the salvation that really matters. Jesus trusted that his father was a God of great reversals. He trusted even to the point of death because he knew that our deeds are weighed by him and not by our human achievements. Will we follow the example of this anointed king, this Christ, and trust that for ourselves as well? Let's pray that we will. Heavenly Father, you know that we are so often tempted to take pride in our achievements, to measure ourselves and each other by what we do or have or have done. And Father, that often dictates what we put our effort and our energy into and what we take pride in. Father, help us to know that these are not the measure that we are weighed by, but that we are weighed by you, the God who is like no other. And Father, may this give us humility and may this give us encouragement. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.